Amen. Well, you guys can be seated. I'm so glad that you're here today. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 1. Um, Luke chapter 1 is where we are, and you can open up to there. I hope that you do have a Bible, and if you don't have one, um, I'd encourage you to bring one uh, with you. It's really, really pertinent to what we do. Also, at the same time, um, we do have Bibles out in the lobby, and therefore, if you don't have one, um, you can grab one of those, and you can uh, use it today, and um, if you don't have one at all, you can take that home with you, and you can call that yours, and write your name in it, and uh, and begin to use it. We'd love for you to do that. Um, while you're turning there, or, or if you've already turned there, um, we're going to go ahead and get started into what we've been um, doing as a church, which is memorizing uh, the names of the books of the Bible in order, okay? That is what, uh, that's a, a task we've undertaken. Um, is there anybody who thinks, I'm not going to call you out, I'm not going to make you do it, okay? But is there anybody who thinks that they could actually do that, like if they if they had to, right? If someone was like, all right, do this or or you're in trouble, could you do it? Yes? Anybody feel okay, there's some hands are like this. Uh, please don't change your mind and just call on me. You know what? I have changed my mind. Do it. No, I'm just kidding. All right. You don't have to. Um, and I've screwed this up plenty of times. If you guys were here with me uh, last week or even in this first service, I actually messed it up reading it uh, in this first service today. I'm like reading it and then I started on a next book and they're like uh, what you know you can't even read it. So here's what we're gonna do. We've been um, we've been uh, doing this and we, we've memorized through the, the entirety of the Old Testament okay. Last week we just finished the Old Testament. Uh, these are the books of the Old Testament. Let's go ahead and read them out loud and then we're gonna see if we can do them by heart. We'll take them away and then we'll add our books for this week and then we'll take it away and see if we can do all of it once again. Okay, you ready? Let's just read together. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, <coughs> Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, <coughs> Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. All right, now before we take it away, what I want you to do is I want you to look up on the screen at that one spot in which you begin to like falter, right? Everyone's got that one place, okay? And that when you get to that one spot, it's like it's all over, okay? I'm done here, okay? Where's that spot? Now really cram it. Come on, cram it hard, memorize it, get it, and then, uh, and then we're going to add. Okay, you ready? You ready? You ready? Okay, let's take it away. Here we go. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Good job. Give yourselves a round of applause, okay? So now here's what we're going to do, okay? We're going to add we're going to add this. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, can you guys get that? Last in the service um, prior to this, we do a service for our volunteers before they serve with our kids. And uh, we we were I took it away, and you know we're all memorizing it. Everyone's going, going. It's kind of fading. And then all of a sudden, everybody, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you know, resounding, uh, resounding chant, okay? So let's say it again, Matthew, Mark, again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, one more time, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, okay, here we go. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. All right. Good job, everybody. Good job. <coughs> I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Today we're going to get into Luke chapter 1. And I'm so excited about this. And I want to pray in just a minute God's blessing over it. The theme of today is God's mercy. And, and as we get into this, prior to us getting into this, I just wonder about where you need God's mercy in your life. And I, I don't know what that, what that area is. I don't know what that space is in which you believe maybe there's no redemption for you. Maybe there's no hope for your future. Maybe even the fact that you feel as if God did send his mercy into that space, um, you're so far into the negative that the greatest hope you could possibly have would to be it at ground level. And, um, and I want to tell you that that's not true. God's mercy doesn't just take us to, to ground zero. God's mercy digs deep roots of hope and faith through the gospel in our lives, and it sends us like a plant straight upward as the sun shines and as we get the nutrients we need. God's mercy for you is, is waiting, is for you, um, God's mercy is, it never comes to an end. The Bible tells us it's new every morning because he's faithful. And so he's always got mercy waiting. He's, also, he's always got it waiting for you. Um, I think about, um, you know, the other day I was listening to something and, and I think about maybe if there's areas of sin in your life in which you need God's mercy and and as I was being edified this week by, by a sermon, um, what the speaker spoke was just oftentimes in the way in which we treat sin is, is maybe first a, a, like a remorse, um, a remorse that maybe we committed this one single act or a, a remorse that we have done something. And the remorse comes from the fact that 
Um, we don't believe that that's truly who we are. It's just something that we did. And then there's a resolve that comes along with that saying, I'm never going to do that again in order to prove that that's not who I am. That's just something I did. And the gospel in the Bible just speaks differently. It speaks of a, of a realizing first that that is truly who I am. And if God doesn't change my heart, I will do that again, and I will do something even far worse. Because it's not just what I do. I need a transformation in my heart because there's something wrong inside there that desires sin. There's a factory, something that needs a complete transformation. So it's a realizing and then a repenting, which is, God, I need you to transform me. And so I even think about God's mercy in this area, that his mercy would change us from a thinking of, a, of a, some kind of remorse and a resolve to prove something rather than a realizing that's, there's something in my heart that causes this and I need a repentance, a true repentance of God, of God transforming my heart. That's, that's God's mercy that can do that that can transform you. I think about maybe if it's not an area of sin, maybe just an area of failure or an area of shame. Some of us have so much shame deep inside different aspects and different facets, different corners of our lives that there's no way God could redeem that area of shame. And that's just who I am and that's who I'll always be. And uh, that's not true. In the gospel, that's not true. The Bible tells us that's not true. And so God's mercy extends even into those deep recesses, even into those places that no one else can touch or speak into. God's mercy is for that area. So maybe what areas of shame are there in your lives that maybe plague you, that would maybe even paralyze you from doing any great work moving forward? God wants to not only uh, fix those and, and bring those to a ground zero, he wants to redeem those and use them for his glory. And so there are plenty of, eight, uh, of places that we need God's mercy. There's um, even just in, in what he's called us to do, the task in which he's called us to do. I know I need God's mercy. There's so many areas of my life that I just need his mercy. And mercy is, is, is God working in me and doing something in which I don't, I don't have any merit to warrant. I can't give any account as to why he should give me that grace, that mercy. He just does because he loves us. And that's what I think he wants to do in your life. And so my goal for you today is that you would see this story, we're just going to look at a story and we're just going to pick it apart and I'm going to guide you along the way Luke chapter 1 and my goal is that by the end of this that you would cry out for God's mercy, that's it that today you would cry out for God's mercy in your life and know that he's waiting to give it, so let's pray let's ask God's blessing before we look at this passage and as we just pick it apart, that's why it's important for you to have your Bibles, because we're really just going to pick it apart. And then, um, and then I'm going to give you some principles at the end. Okay, so let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and we need your mercy. We need your grace. We need the gospel.
We need Jesus Christ to be present and sweet to us. We need to see you. And we need you to cause in us something supernatural to happen. So we can't do it on our own. We can't save ourselves. We can't redeem our life, our lives from the pit. Only you can. And so I pray that as we look at your story today, as we look at your word today, that we would just see glimpses of mercy all over as we just talk through it. And then at the end, we would see the principles that we can apply to our lives and that we would leave positioned to just cry out for mercy. And I pray that you would do this work in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys can open up your Bibles again, if you don't have it, if you're already there, let's read Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 66. 1, 57 through 66. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. <clears throat> And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be, call shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is by this name, called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, his iPad, <laughs> and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately by, or immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing God. And fear came upon all their neighbors and these things were talked about throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. What an incredible passage. Let's pick this thing apart. You ready? The first thing that we see in our passage is God's mercy towards Elizabeth. The first thing that we see in this passage is God's mercy towards Elizabeth. God's mercy towards Elizabeth. So walk with me through this. We look first, let's go up one verse to verse 56, okay? Got your Bible open? Let's look at verse 56. That's one, that's one um, verse above where we started reading. It says, Mary remained with her about three months and returned home, okay? Well, I'm going to have you do a lot of flipping today, okay? 
flipping in the, your Bible, okay, to clarify. Um, I'm not going to do flips today, okay? Do backflip, hurry. Okay, we're going to flip back and forth a lot. So I want you to flip back to Luke chapter 1, verse 36. Flipping your Bibles back to Luke chapter 1, verse 36, just maybe one page prior. And we see that when the angel came to Mary, he said, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. So there's a son in her belly. And she is in her what? Sixth month. So if we flip back to Luke chapter 1, verse 56, we see that Mary remained with her about three months and then returned home. And so that's about time to give birth. We don't know if Mary was there with Elizabeth. For some reason, God thought it right to make this ambiguous so that we wouldn't know. I don't know why he chose to do that, but he did. We, it looks like that she wasn't there because it says after that in verse 57, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. After verse 56 at the end when Mary returned where? Home. So it looks like she's gone. Maybe she's there. We don't know. Maybe she's not there because she would have stole the show, right? Like, yeah, you got John in the belly. I got Jesus in the belly, okay? John's a great, but Jesus is far greater. So she didn't want to steal the show from, uh, from the birth. So then we see in verse 57 that it says, Now the time came. What time? Well, the time came for her to give birth, and sure is about time and months, right? Nine, ten months, somewhere around this point. But it was God's time more than anything else. The time came. What does that mean? God decided it was time. And so things seem normal, and yet God is not uninvolved. He's, it's his timing. It's his timing. And so the time comes for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore what? A son. And I want you to flip back to chapter 1, verse 13. We're flipping again. And it says, But the angel said to him in verse 13, said to who? Zechariah. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. God's being faithful here to Elizabeth. God is showing his faithfulness. God is keeping his promises. God is showing his faithfulness to this family and doing exactly what he said he was going to do. He's holding to his word. And I want to tell you in areas in which you need God's mercy, the one thing that you can find hope in consistently and mercy in consistently is that God always holds to his word. He always holds to his word. He always fulfills his word. That's one way in which you find consistent mercy in your life. Whatever his word says and promises, he will bring to pass. He will fulfill. And he's doing so here. So she bears a son. Verse 59. 
What we see is then her neighbors and her relatives heard that. What did they hear? They heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Now, everybody stay with me. Because what we see here is that they heard that. Circle that word, heard. They heard. We'll flip back to chapter 1, verses 24 through 25. After Zechariah had returned home and this came to fruition that she would conceive, verse 24. Look at this. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. So it happened just as the angel said it would. And watch this. And for five months, she kept herself hidden. Thus the Lord has done for me, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in these days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. And so she, Elizabeth had kept herself hidden at least for five out of the nine some odd months of her pregnancy. And so when they heard that she gave birth, maybe they just heard it for the first time. Maybe they just heard for the first time that she had had a son or she gave birth. Maybe they knew about it after those five months. But here's what we see is that the same area in which Elizabeth was hiding because of her shame for being barren for her whole life is the same reason in which now all of these people are rejoicing with her. God is showing mercy to Elizabeth. She's, she was hidden. She even hid herself out of the shame that she was barren. Listen, this is an area in which, especially in this time and day and place, you experience a lot of shame. If you're old and you got no child and you're not capable of doing that naturally, then this is just an area in which you experience a lot of shame, and she hid herself. Now, it was symbolic in that way, but it was symbolic of a, of a real shame, of an existing shame. And so I just ask you in, 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 your, in your life, what are the areas in which you're hiding because of your shame? What areas in your life are you hiding because you're ashamed? Those are the areas in which God wants to speak into and bring them to light and bring redemption. So she heard that. Stay in your Bible. Stay with me. It's all we're doing is picking this thing apart. She's hidden and the Lord looked on her and showed great mercy. And because of that, all of these people rejoiced. Now flip back to chapter 1, 24 through 25 again. And look at verse 25. Thus the Lord has done for me in these days when he looked on me because of giving her a child to take away my reproach among people. And that's coming true right here before our eyes. That's coming to fruition fulfillment right here. Among people, her reproach has been taken away because those in which looked on her and saw shame are now with her and they're rejoicing. Her reproach has been taken away among people. 
They're rejoicing with her now. They are rejoicing with her. And they are rejoicing. They have seen and heard all that the Lord has done and that he has shown great mercy. And so they're rejoicing with her. Look back at chapter 1 now, verses 14 through 15. Flip back there. The angel to Zechariah. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. That's exactly what's happening right now. Many are rejoicing at his birth because the Lord has shown great mercy to Elizabeth. And so what we see here is God's great mercy to Elizabeth. The second thing that we see in our passage is God's mercy towards the observers and the hearers. The second thing that we see in our passage is God's mercy towards the observers and to the hearers. We're going to look at this in a few different verses, but stay with me in the passage. You ready? So we see in verse 58, and so the neighbors and the relatives heard this, that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. So, and then observing the areas in which they've known Elizabeth has had shame for her whole life, are now watching that the Lord has done great work in her life in those areas. And they're rejoicing with her because the Lord has done great work. And I love this because have you ever seen maybe somebody in your own life and you've watched the Lord's mercy just work in their life? You've seen just God's mercy and grace towards them in different areas and different facets. And not only when you watch that do you just see that objectively, but it ends up being God's mercy to you to observe that. Because when you see God's work in other people's life, your response is that you worship, you rejoice. You see, man, God is, is good. He is doing great things in other people. And you get a glimpse of who God is. And you get a glimpse of how God functions. And you get a glimpse of what God's character is like. And you get a glimpse of what God wants to do in the lives of his people. And you have the idea that God wants to do the same in your life. And you get a glimpse of how good God is. And that's a mercy towards you to see God's work in other people's lives. That's why, listen, if God's doing great work in your life, don't hold that in. Share that. Because when you share that, other people receive God's mercy. They hear about who God is, and they're blessed by it. And so what we see is that they observe this. Stay with me, verse 68, or 58 still. So this is mercy to people when they hear, and this is mercy towards the observers and the hearers because they're rejoicing with her. And this is an incredible, if you jump down to verse 63, okay, verse 63, what we see is, so when this happens, um, it says, 
and he asked for a writing tablet, remember, again, his iPad here, and, uh, and just so you guys know, it's not really an iPad, I don't know if you know that, but there, there weren't iPads back then, okay? I'll give you the history of, of iPads, um, pro like in a few weeks, I know the whole thing, um, but not for today, okay, or, or else. But what this really is, is this is a wooden box, in which they used to kind of drip candle wax on, maybe like a thin layer of candle wax, and uh, some wooden maybe pallet or, or blocks, b box or, uh, or almost like a, um, like a clipboard type of thing, and that they would drip candle wax on. So that says writing tablet. And we're gonna talk about this in a little while, but just stay with me here. Um, so he asks for a writing tablet, and he writes his name is John. And the response is that they all wondered. And I don't think they wondered because they were wondering what was going on. They wondered because what was happening was wonderful. This was wonderful. What God was doing in the life of Elizabeth and Zechariah and John the baby was wonderful and they were observing this and so they're in awe they're wondering this is God's mercy towards the hearers and the observers and in verses 65 through 66 we see that fear came upon them and that's not just a fear of like I'm afraid but that's a reverence and an awe because of God's work, because of God's work. So the observers, the people who are around her, around them are observing, right? And fear is coming upon all these things. And then look at this. Fear is coming upon all of these people. And then all of these things, verse 65, if you look, look at your Bible, all of these things were being talked about throughout all the hill country of Judea and all so they're talking about them and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying what will this child be now I want you to turn over one chapter chapter 2 verses verse 19 and what we see in chapter 19 is something very similar verse 18 and 19 this is after Mary had had Jesus and people were coming around him and speaking things and giving him gifts. And all who heard, verse 18, heard it, wondered at what the shepherds told them. And Mary, but Mary, she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. This is the same exact this is, this is parallel to what we just saw. I, you know, I used to pray this all the time for my daughter. I still do. We move on to praying for a lot of different things. But when I remember just in her bed when she's, before she goes to sleep and I'm praying to her and I'm saying, God, please don't let your word be something that is just she could kind of go without. Let your word be something that she treasures up in her heart, pondering these things in her heart. And I just imagine Natalia in her own time, in her own space, 
driving in a car one day, so help us, God, please. <laughs> she's aggressive now. Like, I can't imagine what kind of driver she's going to be. <laughs> she's awesome. But, like, her just thinking about the Word of God and pondering it, treasuring it up in her heart. That's what's happening. So we see this, this grace for the hearers, this grace, this mercy for the people who are watching because of God's purpose, God's work, and what they're seeing. The third thing that we see, the next thing, is the faith of Elizabeth and Zechariah. The faith of Elizabeth and Zechariah. The theme here is God's mercy, and all my points kind of start with that. And yet at the same time, this is something that's so necessary for us to see. And, uh, but I love it because God's mercy is what encourages us to have faith in who he is. And so we see the faith of Elizabeth and Zechariah. Okay, ready? Verses 59 through 63. So what we see here is on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. Now, it's a key theme. You see in Genesis chapter 17, it's up on the screen. Now, um, he who is mighty, or I'm sorry, he who is eight days old. Sorry, I was just thinking about another verse in my mind. He, is, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. So they're, they're keeping according to this custom, and it's really a way in which they're dedicating their child to the Lord. You're going to see at the end of our service, we're going to do that with some families. This is a way in which they're dedicating the child to God. And, um, and this is faith. This is faith, because you don't dedicate your child to God unless you believe God is God. Right? Like you don't give your, like the, even the animal sacrifices and the obedience in the Old Testament, like you don't sacrifice your animal unless you believe God is God. So that was an exercise of faith, and so is this, right? Um, so they are showing that they believe God. Um, this is also a great thing because it's probably pretty personal to them. Like if you jump inside this text and really try to try to understand what's happening here. Like, this has been a place of shame and fear and hope and disappointment and regret and letdown for their whole life. And sometimes the last thing that we want to do when God finally answers our prayers is to give whatever he's given to us back to him. And she's got no reserve. She's not hesitant at all. Sometimes when God withholds something from you for a very long time and then he answers and provides, what's the tendency? I'm going to hoard this. I'm going to protect it. I'm going to control it so it can never be taken away. Not so with her. So she's exercising, they're exercising faith here. Um, we also see, so the child is circumcised and then we see that, so they would have, called him Zechariah. So all these people are around him saying, call him Zechariah, right? Why are they saying that? Well, that was the custom of the day. You name him after his father. Um, but it's funny that these people like think they can name their child, right? 
And, um, and they exercise faith because if you turn back to John, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 1, verses th verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name, what? John. So they are obeying. They are exercising faith. God has shown his mercy to them, and they are responding in faith and following him no matter what. Verse 13 of chapter 1 I'm sorry, verse, uh, verse 15. Um, he, must, he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. There's a, another image of dedicating him to the service of the Lord, and they're doing so again here back in our verses, and so we see this faith take place. But what's amazing about this is if you look at it, after they circumcise him, after they dedicate him to God, after they name, or his mother says his name is going to be John, then what they do is they go to Zechariah. <laughs> like, this reminds me of my daughter who comes and says to, his, to her mother, or my son who comes to her mother, his mother and says, Mommy, can I have a snack? No, you cannot. Then she turns, or he turns, runs to the other room and finds, Daddy, Daddy, can I have a snack? And my answer to both of them is always the same, which has been for their whole life, Natalia, Preston, and soon Xander. <laughs> Mommy and Daddy are always on the same, and they'll finish the sentence, page. Okay. Right? We got it. Um, because as cute as you are, and she is cute, okay? As cute as you are, and he is cute, you ain't separating mommy and daddy. Okay? It's because that's what God told us to do. In the same way here, they're coming to Zechariah now, saying, Zechariah, what do you want to name him? He said, listen, you, you're not separating us. We're doing what God told us to do. His name is John. And he says it, exhibiting his faith as well. And they said to her, verse 61, none of your relatives is called by this name, right? And so listen, these people don't understand what's happening here. They don't understand what God said, but Elizabeth and Zechariah, listen close. They don't care what everyone else says. They don't care what makes logical sense. They care what God says. And they're doing it his way. No matter what. And sometimes, listen, God's going to call you guys to do things that doesn't make any sense to the world doesn't make any sense but it doesn't matter that's what God's calling you to do that's what it looks like to be faithful so that's what you do no matter what the world says they don't care 
The God, the Bible says that God chooses the foolish of the things of this world to shame the wise, the weak things of the world to shame the strong. I think about our church. And I think about all, about all the concerts that you guys could be at right now that would be called a church. And yet for some reason, you're here so you can get the word of God. That's something foolish in the eyes of the world. But how wonderful it is in the eyes of God. And so we see that they're exercising faith. Now, we're almost done with this section. So then verse 62, even though they'd understand, they made signs to his father when they were asking from him. And so this says to me that either one or two things is happening. Zechariah is deaf and mute. Really, I mean, because they're making signs or they just forgot that he can hear, but he can't talk, okay? Because if you turn back to verse 22 of chapter 1, it says, when he came out, he was unable to speak, and he made signs to, to them, right? He kept making signs to them and remained mute. Well, now here we are in verse 62, and they're making signs to him. So I think what we see is here that maybe Zechariah was deaf and mute. Um, the reason why there's confusion is because they don't, it does, the Bible doesn't tell us that prior to this. And it also, when later on we see him being able to speak again, it doesn't say that they, the God loosened up his ears. It says God loosened up his tongue. And so you would assume that he just couldn't speak. That was it. But here, at the same time, they're making signs to him. So I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but they're inquiring of what him, they wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet. Okay, we know what that is now. And he wrote, his name is John. Not his name will be John. Not we're going to discuss it more. No, no, no. God already told us his name is John. No matter what y'all say. And they wondered, right? They wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. And so his tongue was loosed, and he spoke blessing God, so he blesses God. And what we see is um, the first words out of his mouth were what? When his tongue was loosed. Praise. Praise. That was the first words out of his mouth, blessing praise towards God. And we see just their faith all over this, right? And, um, and when Elizabeth here says his name's going to be John, and they all wondered, like, again, I don't think that that was because uh, like, how did, like, the, some of the consensus is, like, how did Elizabeth know to call him John? And yet then they asked Zechariah, and he called his name John. What a miracle. I don't think that's why they wondered. I think they wondered because, again, it was wonderful. God was doing some great work because if you flip back to chapter 1, 
Look at verse um, 22. When Zechariah came out of the temple, he was unable to speak to them, and he realized, they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them. He was trying to communicate, and he remained mute. And when the time, when his time of service was ended, he went to where? His home. And Elizabeth, his wife, was there. And if he's trying to make signs to the people, he's probably trying to make signs to his wife. And then we see in our passage that he has a writing tablet, okay? And he was able to write things on his writing tablet. And so if he was able to write things on his writing tablet to these people, don't you think that maybe he had shared the entirety of the story with his wife? Probably. So when she says his name is John, that's faith. That isn't like, oh my goodness, she just miraculously said his name is John, and he said his name is John, you know? This is faith exercised by both of them. They both are doing exactly what the Lord had said. And so then what we see in this is that his mouth was open, and the first thing that he does is praise. The next thing that we see in this passage is God's mercy towards Zechariah. The next thing we see in this passage is God's mercy towards Zechariah. Verse 64, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he spoke blessing God. And that's amazing because out of all of this time, God is being faithful to him. Look back at chapter 1, verse 20. This is what the angel said to Zechariah. Zechariah, verse 20, Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak. You ready? Circle this. Until, until the day that these things take place. What things? The things that I just told you that you're going to conceive, that you're going to bear a son, that you should call his name John. because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So God is doing exactly what he said. As soon as these things take place, you will be able to speak again. You will not be able to speak until these things take place. And God is being faithful because as soon as these things take place, what happens? He can speak. God's being faithful. Some ask the question like, why? Did Zechariah, why wasn't he able to speak? And the, we saw in verse 20 because he didn't believe what the angel said. And if you go back and look at verse eight or, uh, 18, it's from this very question Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? And so it's not that God doesn't allow us to question him, but God somehow decided at this point that because Zechariah is asking for proof from the angel, that the angel or God, uh, both coming ultimately from God, was going to say you're not going to be able to speak or hear maybe because of your question. But it doesn't mean that we can't question God. I think right here just in God's sovereignty, he decides to do this work and not allow him to speak to show to everybody else more of who God is. 
and allow everyone to see his plan to a greater extent. We see all throughout the Bible people question God. We see Jacob wrestled with God. We see Abraham wonder the same thing, like, my wife's old and she's barren. How is this going to be possible? But there's something about the way in which he asked it that causes God to say, okay, you're not going to talk for a little while, right? And, and I think this is awesome because I also think it's a mercy towards Zechariah that he couldn't talk. Like, my kids, I mean, they, they've got some, like, function inside of them that's called repeat, okay? I don't know how they got it or where it came from, because I don't ever do it. <laughs> All right. Some people are like, uh, you know you just said that, like, five times. I'm like, yeah, okay. So they repeat over and over and over again, right? And Natalia's like, can I have breakfast? Can I have breakfast? Can I have breakfast? Can I have breakfast? Or can I help you? Or, Daddy, I thought you were going to go get this, or I thought you were going to do that. And I'm like in the process of doing it for her, and I want to just say, be quiet. (laughs) That wasn't meant to be funny, but. (laughs) Watch. Watch. I'm doing it. <laughs> That's what I literally say, right? Natalia, watch. Daddy is doing what you've asked. Just watch. Don't talk anymore. <laughs> right? And I think God is doing the same he- thing here to Zechariah. Mm-hmm. Don't talk anymore. Just watch. Watch what I'm doing. I think this is a mercy in the fact that he is not able to talk. And that now he is able to talk. So we see in verse 64, after his mouth is opened, he speaks blessing. And fear comes upon all of the neighbors in all these things. And they were talking about them throughout the hill country because of God's work. And I love this because Zechariah is also about to be famous. And not in famous in the sense that he's great, but in the sense of his God is great. God's mercy is just all over his life. And making him mute, and making him talk again, and in letting it be known that God's hand is upon the life of Zechariah. The last thing that we see in our passage is God's mercy towards the world. The last thing that we see in our passage is God's mercy towards the world. In verses 65 through 66, it says that fear comes upon all their neighbors, fear as in a reverence, like God's at work, and they see this. And they see that all these things are taking place and that Zechariah is in praise and that God's hand is involved here. And then they talked about, these things were talked about all through all the hill country of Judea. And what we see here is this is happening first and Paul Bright and I were in a conversation this week and man, it was so, so awesome to think about. You know, who wrote the book of Acts? All right, Luke. Who wrote this book of Luke? Luke. Luke. 
And if you think, <laughs> and if you think about it, Luke is really writing one continual story, right? From the beginning of Luke until the end of Acts as to how the gospel is just going forward throughout all the world. The good news, the mercy of God has come upon this life of this family and what is happening? Now this, God, this good news, this story of mercy is spreading throughout all of the hill country. It is beginning. So what you see happening all throughout the book of Luke, all throughout the book of Acts, on into eternity, really is starting now. It's starting now. The word is spreading. The gospel is here. The Messiah is coming. There's one who is preparing the way. His hand is upon this man's life, John. And God's story, the God's gospel is starting to go forth in this way, in this New Testament way. And so we see that they're all talking about it and they're all rejoicing and all who heard it laid it up in their hearts so worship is starting to happen towards God throughout the whole world. And they're saying, what kind of child will this be? And what they're literally asking at that place is like, what will become of this boy? Because God's hand is upon him. And we know what's going to happen. If you turn to John or Luke chapter 3, just another page over, we see John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. We know what's going to become of this boy. And if you look on to Luke chapter 7, just keep going a few more pages. Chapter 28, I'm sorry, chapter 7, verse 28. Jesus, this is red letter, says, I tell you among those born of women, none is greater than John. He is the best man who ever lived besides Jesus. We know what's going to come of this man. They didn't, but they wondered. He was the greatest man who ever lived besides Jesus. That's what Jesus said. And so here we're seeing his story. And what happens is John's going to be famous, not because of who he is, but because of this last sentence here. For the hand of the Lord was with him. That's why John was going to be famous and why he was going to do great things. And that's the reason we should hope to do great things for the Lord is because his hand is with us. And so we look back at John chapter 1, or Luke chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Last thing we'll see for our principles. And you will have joy and gladness, Zechariah, and many will rejoice at his birth that's happening and is going to continue to happen throughout the whole world. That is true. For he will be great before the Lord. It's not because he's great. For, flip back to verse 66. 
it's because the Lord's hand is with him. And so that's what we see in our passage. And to close us out, what are two principles that we can apply to our lives? Number one is that God's mercy extends to deep areas of shame in our lives. God's mercy extends to deep areas of shame in our lives. I mean, this story is, is unbelievable. But prior to this, their story wasn't unbelievable. And God's mercy just came in and just started doing work. God's mercy changed everything about their lives. His mercy, his unmerited, unsolicited initiative in their lives changed everything. And I just think for you, like, God's mercy in the, li in the places in which no one can touch or that you're so ashamed of or that you feel will never be redeemed could never be made up for, could never be used for God's good and God's glory and your good. In those areas in which you have failed time and time again or you're so ashamed of, don't count God out. God's mercy extends to those deep places. And he can do more in your life than you could ever understand. His mercy is for those areas of shame, and he wants to call you into a great, great repentance, trust in him, transformation by him, and life for him. And so I would just encourage you to cry out for God's mercy. Cry out for his mercy in your life. Cry out. Don't wait. Cry out for God's mercy in your life. Call out and don't stop calling. And number two, God mercifully makes our lives part of his redemptive plan for the world. God mercifully makes our lives part of his redemptive plan for the world. They were seeing and they were rejoicing and they were hearing and people were talking and they were seeing redemption and John will be doing great things, but this wasn't just for their own lives. You see, God wants to extend mercy to you, not just to make you happy in your life better. He's got something far greater planned for you. And that's to be part of his redemptive plan to save the world. His mercy extends into your life, not just for you. Don't let it terminate on you. He wants to make you part of his redemptive plan for the world. To call people to himself through Jesus Christ. And so again, I encourage you, cry out to God for mercy. Let's pray. Father, we come before you 
and we ask that you would show us mercy, that you would call us your children through what you've done through Christ is already a great mercy. And God, we need more of it. We need more and more mercy from you forever. Until the day that we die, we are joyfully indebted towards you because you have given us more mercy than we could ever account for and that we could never pay back. And yet with all of our hearts, we say, give us more, God. Give us more, God. Give us more, God. We need your mercy. And we gladly say, give us more, because it shows you to be the one who never runs out of mercy. Never runs out of mercy. And it shows us to be the ones who are constantly in need of mercy. Constantly in need of mercy. So God, I pray for the people in this room today that whether it be in their seats right now as the song plays, whether it be with our prayer partners right after the service that will be, stand, we'll be standing up here waiting for prayer to pray with people, or whether it be those times and throughout the rest of this day, this week, I pray that the people in this room would never stop crying out for your mercy. We need it. We love you, Jesus. We love you. We need your mercy. Continue, God, to show us and give us mercy. In Jesus' name. Amen.